hi and welcome to my three books. My name is Mark Kelly and I'm thrilled to be your podcast host as we go on an adventure with all sorts of different kinds of people investigating their three favourite and most impactful books. With this podcast, I hope to open our eyes to a much wider literary world and at the same time also read some of the life story of these amazing people. So kick back, put your feet up, and join me on a journey of discovery. My three books are Body, Biblical Spirituality for the Whole Person by Paula Gooder, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban by J.K. Rowling, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My Three Books. I'm thrilled that we've managed to get these going again. We've had a couple of weeks where I've not been able to post through nasty sicknesses and bugs and all sorts of horrible nonsense. But we're we're back on the road again today, and I'm so looking forward to uh, my conversation today. We've got some three fascinating books, but we have one fascinating character uh, that I am I am interviewing or we're having a conversation with. So without any further ado, let me just say good morning to David Horsfall. Morning. Morning, Dave? Mark. Is it David or Dave? If you call me David, I think you're my mum. Oh, okay. So you can call me Dave. Right. Most people call me Dave. And okay, that's, Dave. That's fine. Big D. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, Dave. For for our listeners, yeah, in in good game show style, tell us a little bit about yourself. However, don't tell us what you do yet. Okay, about myself, but not what I do. So uh, that's that is a good question. Okay, <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what would be most interesting. Okay, uh, my name's Dave. My mum calls me David. I'm 33, so I'm a, a millennial. Oh, when, but, is, when is millennial? Well, thirty-five. Is oh. So I'm millennial, but I can speak the language of uh, the older generation. But the Gen X is like yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I live in Leeds. Moved to Leeds for university about fifteen years ago. Yeah, to study what? To study geography and politics. Oh. That's quite relevant. For it anybody, is quite relevant. Yeah, we're, we're, we're recording this on the 12th of December 2019. Which this is, is election day. Election day. I'm just going to put it out there. Yeah. I think Johnson with a majority of 40. Oh, my goodness. So you heard it here first, apart from so, I've nicked it from someone on Twitter. <laughs> but that's that's my gu- that's my guess. All right. Okay. Okay. And um, obviously, we have no political affiliation no, no. on this podcast. None um, at all. You, you all vote for who you think is the right person or persons. Um but there you go you've heard it here first but you should say terms and conditions by the time you listen to this podcast voting will be closed the results <laughs> will have been announced anyway moving on so you did you did geography and politics yeah I did geography and politics first degree and i did a master's in sustainability but oh i feel like i did it 10 years too soon sustain what the environment okay thank you to sustain the environment but this was 10 years before climate change <laughs> at least climate change appeared on I was twitter about say, 10, years 10 years before climate change i think it's been happening for a no, while hasn't it? yeah it has been happening for a while but it was it wasn't quite as it's the zenith that it's at now okay and so after that i did a year out for the church worked for the church for a year then worked for a charity for a couple of years 
and then went back to work for the church. But I won't tell you what I currently do because you asked me not to. I did. I did. However, we're going to slip into that now quite naturally. So you work for the church. Yeah. Um, Which church might that be? So uh, I used to work for a church called Mosaic Church until about three years ago. So I worked for them for five years, was on their pastoral ministry staff. And then three years ago, I started working for something called Leeds School of Theology, which is what I am the director of at the moment. And uh, so Leeds School of Theology is uh, a, w- a wonderful... This is your moment to... This is my wonderful... To, to, this uh, is the moment to, to, to share. To plug it. To Leeds School of Theology is a wonderful gift to the city. That's that's the thing that strikes me most about for, what for it is. For all people, for Christians and non-Christians, or those of uh, other beliefs? Primarily teaching Christian theology. Okay. And so it's an informal theology school. So it's for people who want to go deeper than they can go at church on a Sunday, but don't necessarily want to do a degree. And uh, it's teaching you uh, healthy theology that empowers you to bring change to the world, whatever, whatever like, you want. Sounds your like world a tagline. Like. That's our vision. Okay. So it's there to uh, equip people to read the Bible in a healthy way. We know so many Christians where there's a real desire to read scripture, a real desire to read the Bible but an uncertainty about how best to do that it's not the easiest book to pick up and read and so giving people tools to do that and also equipping people to think theologically for themselves to come to their own theological conclusions i just want to cut in there just obviously this isn't a podcast primarily aimed at christians so but for for the sake of those who might be a little bit confused can you just define theology just just define theology because you're you're the lead school of theology theology comes from two greek words theos and logos which means words about god oh i love it i love a bit of greek in the morning so uh, a few years ago there was a book released by a guy called rob bell and he had it the, the tagline was or the title of it was what we talk about when we talk about god i love the title i love the title of the book and whether listening to this whether you describe yourself as a christian or a non-christian or any other name under the sun everybody is a theologian everybody has ideas about what what god is if god is there mm. um even an atheist has an idea about what god is that just say he's not there or <laughs> it is not there but that's still an this idea is the god that isn't there yeah yeah and so uh, everybody is a theologian and so christians are merely people who have a particular view about what that god is and and how he's revealed himself and so uh, we're particularly looking at Christian theology, but um, yeah, every, everybody has an idea about mm. who or what they think God is. Very good. That's a good good definition. You've obviously you've obviously taught on that, haven't you? We can, we can tell. I, maybe maybe I've taught on that. Um, two out of the three books that we're going to look at today uh, are definitely of a a Christian persuasion. A Christian persuasion, yeah. Um, and one very definitely isn't. Uh, uh, but I love well, I love I love the series. Interesting. I'm not going to say the series is just yeah, yeah. Uh, actually. The way that I introduce these podcasts, I get you yeah. to say my three books are. Yeah, okay, great. So um, they're going to know what it is yeah, already. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I don't know why I'm building it up to something. <laughs> um, do you want to tell us any more about your, your job and who you are? Or have you pretty much covered it, do you think? Oh, pe- people don't care about that. You're quite academic, aren't you? you yeah. You, you do love reading. You do love... Yeah, I like books. Kids. So yeah. if you give me a day off, then I'll go to a coffee shop. I'll take a book. Yeah. And I'll read. And that that fuels me that fills me that gives me energy i i love doing that i am one of those people that always wants to know why we are where we are oh brilliant how did we get to this current mm. situation and i like i like thick answers as answers that are deep and rich and that speak to people who are thick like me so i want an <laughs> Which answer you most definitely are not well i want an answer that that makes sense of the world around mm-hmm. us so 
shallow answers or platitudes really bug me. Cliches. Yeah, because I think they're a disservice to people. People are there to be looked after and cared for and loved, you know, regardless of your religious persuasion. If you genuinely value another person, then there is a, uh, there must be a desire to give them the the truth, the reality of of how you see the world, and for that reality to of be how well you, of thought how through. You, of how you see the world, yeah, of yeah, how, yeah, of how yeah. anybody sees the world. Yeah, and yeah. so, when it's a, a cliche or a, a poorly thought through answer, I always just think you're you're not you're not caring for people well, and you're not caring for yourself well. Mm. You need you need deep deep wells of truth to draw from for your own life. Otherwise, it's it's a it's a shallow existence. <laughs> Well, just well, to, just I, to start just, with that, yeah, it's a shallow existence. Um, well, there, there we are. Uh, but we all love books, don't we? That's that's yeah, why you're like probably books. listening to this podcast. Yeah. That's why we're doing this podcast. And do you know what? I'm that, not. I'm not a hundred miles away from what you've just said. I've got to be honest. That's why, pe- why. That's why we love books, Mark. Because we want the deep answers. Yes. You, if you like books, you're not generally looking for shallow explanations for the world around you. You're trying to find truth and meaning and beauty and justice mm. and hope and all of that is deep mm. all of that's deep stuff yeah yeah yeah. you can't so, just pay lip service to it can you no you can't no. and so generally speaking anybody who picks up a book is searching for something Brilliant. and the book is offering something you know my favorite book was as a kid what was that yeah, it was generally I'd, every christmas i'd get a book that was something like a thousand answers to a thousand yeah, questions yeah, yeah. i loved those books i devoured them absolutely loved you'd them. be great in pub quizzes you think, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, you would. <laughs> you would think. But all Maybe the answers, all the answers so gone. Exactly. <laughs> I'm that Generation Xer, remember? I'm yeah, probably teetering yeah. on the point where the memory's but starting you... to fade. Uh, let's get into these books. Yeah, yeah let's So you already know what they are, but if you, for the, for, you know, for the sake of this recording right now, let's go with the first one, which is your non fiction book so a non-fiction book well the book is uh by a lady called paula gooder the book is called body biblical spirituality for the whole person so i have described this as a non-fiction book but depending oh. on the viewpoint of the your listener or the person whoever's listening to this you may think this is a fiction book <laughs> oh right okay go ahead then so what do you mean by that well it depends it depends what your view of scripture is Right. It depends what right. you view of the Bible is. Yeah. So if the ah, Bible is, gotcha. is a made-up story, then yep. this book is a made is a book about a made-up story. Okay. So, uh, m- my standing point is not necessarily the Bible is full of facts in, in the sense of it being a textbook, but the Bible contains truth. And so this book is a book about that book. Okay. So well, let's, let's approach this then. Uh, we, we are approaching it from your worldview, yeah, from great. your perspective. And, and for those who are, have, don't have any faith or, or, or they're exploring or they're on a journey, whatever that is, yeah. um, maybe this will just help them totally. answer some questions or find some meaning or whatever. So yeah. let's go from your worldview. So, how would you describe this? So the then? basic way I describe this book is a book that's asking the question of what are you? What are you as a person? And what are you as a, a person in a body? And what does it mean to be a human being? So literally a, a body, uh, as, in, as in your body? Or, or are you talking about a body as in a wider expression of people? What? No, your body is in your physical skin, bones, okay. eyes, earlobes. All, the, all that yucky stuff. Yeah. 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 And, and, and what do we do with our bodies? Mm-hmm. And how do we think about our bodies? And um, so she tracks through different ways of thinking about the body and how, from this particular viewpoint, how the Bible talks about the body and how we can think about the body and how that affects how we go out and live our lives 
that would be a broad brushstroke introduction to what the book is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, I was quite interested in the in the blurb that's at the bottom mm. back yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was looking at this. Um, uh, it says, we hear a lot these days about spirituality, in quotes, yet yeah. the meaning of that word can be hard to pin down. And this is what I found interesting. Often it is used in a vague way to revert <laughs> to a relationship between our spirit and God. Yeah resulting in the belief that we can only relate to God with our inner being, yeah, i.e. that yeah. spiritual being, yeah. and not any other part of ourselves. Yeah. Maybe we'll we'll approach a particular way of thinking later on in this conversation, but it sounds very sounds very Gnostic, uh, uh, does that, actually. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like she's speaking against that yes. Gnostic way of thinking. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I've thrown a word in there, Gnostic. Yeah, go for it. You're, you're the theologian yeah. more than I, so why don't you just briefly so, say what that is? I'm assuming she touches upon that in the book. Yes, yeah, she does yeah. a little bit. So Gnosticism is, is this idea that fundamentally your body is not of any importance, and to, to one extreme it's evil. Mm. And so the real thing that matters about who you are is your inner spirit, your inner self, your inner being and that's the thing that really matters and so what we're effectively trying to achieve in life is freedom from, from the, the physical constraints yeah. of a body into kind of some ethereal spiritual blah 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 and she's very much writing this book against that idea okay and i think uh that idea about that if you like this that somebody's spirit or their inner being or their soul or who they are on the inside is a really it's a it's a really common idea that's kind of out there in the world. It's quite a, a new agey thing, isn't it? Well, interestingly, it's a new agey thing, but it has its roots in Plato. So it has its roots in Greek philosophy from thousands of years ago, which was this idea that um, your your inner being, your soul, is the thing that matters most. And so your body your body has all these appetites and these desires, like and, I say, yucky stuff. Yeah. <laughs> And you say yucky stuff because Mm. you have been influenced by Augustine and 1,500 years worth of Western European thought. Um, And actually, is it yucky stuff? Well, well, I'm throwing it out there as well a, as, a, as a feeder, and I, I'm pulling, I'm pulling in a fish here, so that is good. Um, just uh, who was Augustine? He was a he was a he was a man. He was an African man who lived about 1,500 years ago in North Africa. Moved to a place called Rome, which you'll probably know, and he was a thinker and a theologian, and he wrote some pretty significant books. But probably more significantly, he won some debates. Ah, well. He won some debates, and so what he wrote became orthodoxy for mm-hmm. a long period of time. Within, within the Christian Well, within world. the Christian world, but the Christian world, in for much of that period in Europe, was the world. Mm-hmm. And so whether you're a Christian or not, you were probably influenced by Augustine, whether, okay. you, whether you were aware of it or not. Okay. Um, so you say this idea of yucky stuff uh, well, was, was, was started. You desire food. Yep. Is that a bad thing? No, I, I love food far far too much, probably. And uh, to to take this to a I don't know a twelve A rating, I'm oh, guessing you desire careful, you man. desire sex. D- yeah, it's, as it's, as many it's, people it's do. Lovely. Yeah. And you desire uh, careful now exercise. That was it. That was the twelve uh, okay, A. We're okay. back down to a, a PG. You desire right. kind of the ability to move around mm. and all of those things. Eating. Drinking, sleeping, having sex, they're all... Pooing, weeing. Pooing, weeing. They're all embodied activities. They're all things you have to do with your body. And for a long period of time, there's this kind of view that the the body has been a bad thing and you're trying to get away from it. 
actually it's like no right back from the beginning of the story of the bible is god creates the world however he does that and god creates human beings however he does that and god creates bodies however he does that but he says the body is good mm. the body is a gift and so pulling us back yeah. to the book that's what she is emphasizing i would imagine then. that's what she's emphasizing but more than that she's challenging this split that's existed for a long period of time between your body and your soul so whether you're a christian or not a lot of people think that you have a body but you also have a soul an internal something something that's distinct from the body something that's distinct in fact in the victorian the times did they try and measure or weigh the soul did they i think they did I there's how much it weighed yeah well six grams i think was one of, the, one, of the, one of the uh the, <laughs> the measurements they got they waited till people that people were expiring they, oh, weighed the, they weighed them. I think it was Victorian. Yeah, yeah. Forgive me if I've got that wrong, but this story is generally correct. They they weighed them before they they expired and they expired, and oh, then they then weighed they them afterwards. For the soul to leave, leave, and then they weighed and then, they, and then they see the so difference. That's the that's one of the notions she challenges that you have this internal soul that's going to depart from your body when you die. Mm. And what she proposes, which I would think I would say I'm convinced by, is you don't have this technical word you don't have this dichotomy between a body and a soul you're not two bits you're you are an if you like a spirited body you're a souled body so your spirit and your soul are not two separate entities they are meshed together who you are cannot be apart from inner body and who you are isn't just a body it's a spirited body it's a lifed body it's an animated body and so everything about who you are is outworked and functions in in this this i'm touching parts of myself at the moment in, in, appropriate parts appropriate parts of myself but in this body yeah and so into a world of uncertainty about how i look and how i feel and uh, whether i like my body or not it speaks something different it says no your body is a good thing your body is a gift it's not always the easiest thing to deal with you've got to come to terms mm. with what your body is but fundamentally your body is a good thing and you you are to live out in the world um, with appreciation and joy that you, you that you have this body. You're not looking to get rid of it or escape it. Fundamentally, mm. it's a, it's a good part of who you are. Uh, are, there, are there parts of the book in which she kind of encourages healthy living? Is, is that part of part of the narrative in the book? You know, exercise, healthy living, yeah, no, on, on not, the body. Not really, but it's one of those things that it, it's almost like an obvious application from what she's sure. going for. So it. But but that's an interesting question. So yes, we go for healthy living. But if you think of somebody who is less abled, it still says their body has value. So in if you like, these are slightly unformed thoughts. But in the in the marketplace of the body that's in the world, your body's meant to look a certain way, mm. beautiful, attractive, yeah, six yeah. packs, very much like you and me, Mark. Oh, uh, definitely. Well, nobody can see us, so let's uh, <laughs> We can we can describe as how we like really, but it but it means in the world we value some bodies and we we uh, we don't value other bodies, so we don't value disabled bodies. Yes, and we don't value bodies with what we would call disorders or defects or brokenness because they're deviating from the, the norm, the standard that we've decided exactly. is, is is good. And actually, um, and and the healthy living thing is is a good thing i'm not i'm not saying you shouldn't live healthily but it's it's more than that it's an appreciation of of the body in whatever form it comes and an appreciation that we uh 
we learn from and we value the different expressions of what it means to be a human. So a classic example would be Down syndrome. And um, there's, there's, this is, I don't think this is true for all people with Down syndrome, but there's a sense in which they can, so they can access emotions of joy and mm. happiness more readily than other people can. And in the marketplace of the world, Down syndrome is one of those question marks. Is, is this a good thing? Is this not? What do we do with this? Mm. But actually, the, if you like, the perspective of this book is, what can you learn? What does, what does that, uh, what do those people show us about what it means to be human? Do they actually give us an insight into the joy and the happiness that we, from a Christian perspective, were designed to readily be able to access do they actually give us a glimpse and an insight? And so while their body provides certain challenges, of course, actually does it give us a glimpse of some beauty that we wouldn't have seen mm. otherwise? And it, and so it's not just healthy living, not healthy living. It's how do you appreciate the, the bodies that are around us? The, what, the, what do they tell us about what it means to be human? Yeah, oh, very good. Are there any, are there any particular bits within the book? I mean, yeah, I don't know whether you've left this receipt in one of the pages because i haven't finished the last okay. chapter so that's my bookmark okay, okay that's your bookmark um but okay, okay then so are there, are there any particular kind of standout chapters or standout uh things that you remember from the the ones that you have read that you the, go that that that's changed the way i've thought about something yeah the standout chapter for me was the chapter she does on how the bible describes the body and the soul and she basically t looks at all the Greek and Hebrew words, which are the original languages of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and she says, what do they mean? And she basically says, they don't mean what you think they mean, which is, what you think they mean is this kind of platonic idea of the soul, which is separate to the person. She's like, no, what the words really mean are a, a kind of a life animated uh, body. And it's just a very different way of thinking about the person. And even just, and, and the physicality of, of what is good and what is what we're hoping for in the world. And so that chapter for me really transformed the way that I thought about myself mm. as, as a, a human it, it, and helped me appreciate and value what I am, the whole of me, all of me, and that being a, uni a, a unified thing rather than this kind of, I don't know, split this rather than me being split into these different parts and I'm trying to take care of the different parts. It's like, I know the whole of me matters. So, so your healthy living example is a good example. It's like, if I go for a run, that affects all of me and it benefits all of me. Mm. If I, from again, from a Christian perspective, if I sit down and pray or read the Bible, that benefits all of me. It's not just benefiting like this tiny separate bit of soul of in yeah. me. So when you go running, it doesn't just affect the body as in this very no. physical thing yeah, it also yeah. affects how we think yeah our, our mental capacities yeah yeah it's a totally. very healthy thing isn't it in, yeah into, a very helpful and thing. relationships yeah so what we're doing now is a bodied activity you're using your voice box i'm using mine and my ears to and communicating and there's there's eye contact and there's body language and all those kind of things and that is affecting the whole of who we are in a very important and powerful way and so when you think about technology and social media and everything coming through on your phone, there's loads of stuff out there at the moment going, that's dehumanizing us because the phone isn't another human. I'm made and wired to be with other human beings. And so even though I'm getting something of them via a text message or a WhatsApp or Twitter, I'm getting some of their verbal communication. Actually, what I crave is a, another bodied person. I don't just want their words or 
even just them on a video i want their presence i want mm. their bodied presence how does how does she, it, she may not tackle this but maybe it's just your opinion that yeah, I want yeah. on this and how does how does extra being an extrovert or an introvert then how does that work with that because somebody who is a an introvert yeah kind of likes their own space yeah, doesn't course. doesn't really want to engage too much with other people or, or yeah. rather uh, can't spend a lot of time in yeah, it yeah. because because they feel a bit exhausted. I'm not speaking from personal thing here, but yeah, yeah. I am. Um, but how how then does she or how then do you kind of think well, of it, that? I just think introverts and extroverts appreciate the body and other humans differently. It's not it's not one's right, one's wrong. Yeah. Neither of them uh, want to reject humanity. So even the most extreme introvert doesn't actually want to be alone forever. They, there is some contact that they um, appreciate and lots of maybe lots of contact that they don't appreciate. But we're, we're made instinctively to be relational. And so even when you're, if you, in your words, alone, you, you are alone as, as an embodied person. So the very fact that you are, if you like, distant from somebody else, the distance matters to you which means the other people matter to you you're appreciating them not being very there. good mm. um, but then you will appreciate certain contexts when they are there mm. and so an introvert just appreciates that relationship between other people differently to an extrovert and that and and that's good and right and valid and and you know n not a bad thing at all but that's an interesting one where actually extroverts and introverts need to learn from one another about how do you appreciate being alone for a time how do you appreciate being around people for some how do you appreciate being around people in different ways that uh bring out different qualities of being around someone so i'm somebody who doesn't mind being around people but i get most out of one-on-one -on -one deep conversations so you put me in a room of lots of people i'm okay but i don't thrive i'm not appreciating all of who they are because i want to know all of who they are i want to go deep with every single person you can't do that but similarly if you put me by myself alone I still crave that depth of knowledge of another person and so at some point I'm gonna which is partly why I write, like reading books I want to see what they have to say but at some point I'm gonna want to see another person like how who are you how do I understand life through your eyes how do you how, what can you teach me what can I learn from you Yeah, great. Good. Very different book. Very well. Th this is a very different book. Um, this is now. Uh, when when I asked Dave to uh, to choose his his three books, he he came up with his three books and the the uh, fiction one. He just went Harry Potter, hmm. and I said no. You can't just say yeah, Harry Potter. Won't. You have to choose one. To which he replied, "That's like trying to choose my favourite child." <laughs> However, he has chosen his yeah. favourite child. I've, I've pushed him. <laughs> Um, and so this one is which book then? So this is the third in the Harry Potter series, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Right. Okay. Harry Potter, hugely successful. Yes. Um, I I know more of it because of the movies rather oh, than reading, reading yeah. the books. A poor Although, substitute. Well, yes. You, yeah. Um, yeah, I probably would agree. I mean, I am reading the, through the books to yeah. my kids uh, now. Um, I once got dressed up as a wizard. Great. When the second book was launched in oh, Borders wonderful. Bookshop. In Which Leeds. wizard were you? 
You I, can't I, just be a wizard. I, no, I was, I was just a wizard. I wasn't. I, no, I didn't know anything no about the book. It's just a wizard. <laughs> I got asked to read a chapter yeah. to a load of kids in a bookshop. Um, and so I just got dressed up as a wizard. I, d- I wasn't a fan. I didn't know. To be honest, <laughs> the, the glasses I was wearing kept getting caught with the fake beard, and so uh, I kept trying to try and pull them apart so I could <laughs> speak. Um, okay, so I know a little bit more about the books, and yeah. yes, there is obviously with any book versus yeah, movie yeah. debate. There's, there's no, there shouldn't be a debate. There's always more information yeah, yeah. in the book. Yeah, of course. Um, but a lot of people might only know it from from the movies. Yeah. So um, obviously, because when I think of the characters and the voices and things, yeah, yeah. I think of the movies. Yeah. So you yeah, know, yeah. When I'm talking, well, Stephen I- Fry talking it on the Audible it, books. Okay. Like most, a lot of people cannot think of Harry Potter's voice without it being Stephen Fry's voice. <laughs> Fascinating. All right, um, Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. Why this one? Okay. So first thing, I want to pick up something you said about Ooh. 15 minutes ago. Where you said two of them were two of the books were Christian, one of them definitely isn't. Ah, I did, I did say that. Yes. Now, I, just zoom out to thirty thousand feet for a minute. <laughs> Every good story is the story of Jesus. Dave's got his hands out now, like he's in a skydive. Just want to. <laughs> Every good story is the story of Jesus retold in a different way. The best stories that we love are about a sacrificial act of love for the benefit of somebody else, which is fundamentally the Jesus story. That is the Harry Potter story. I mean, the very last book of Harry Potter, which you haven't read yet, but you've seen the film. And I'm sorry if you haven't read it yet, but it's been like 20 years. So yeah, you've got, on, to, you've got yeah. to get with it. We, we do try and not give spoilers away, but I mean, you know, it's unavoidable. And like you say, it's been out a while. The last book of Harry Potter is basically... Harry dying for the salvation. You're going to give that much of no, di- dying for the salvation of his friends, but then rising from the dead to defeat an evil enemy. I'm like that. That is the Jesus story repackaged with teenage wizards. That has been my argument for the Christians. And, and to say it is a, it is a story of good versus evil. Yeah, totally. And good, and good triumphs. And it's even a story of death and resurrection, or potentially death and resuscitation. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. still. If if you're not a Christian, the reason I said non-Christian, um, I mean, I, I completely take yeah. in what you what you just said there. Every story it isn't is about really Jesus and his disciples and <laughs> no, it's Galilee not. and all the um, rest of that. It it, it isn't. Um, but it, if you're not in the Christian world, you might you might not understand that there is there was and and there has been and continued to be a pushback yeah, against, yeah. against a lot of Christians who see, yeah yeah by a lot of Christians who say it's got spells and yeah witchcraft yeah, and all yeah. that kind of stuff in it. To which I always respond, well, so does. C.S. Lewis's books, yeah, yeah. so does Lord of the Rings. Just because yeah. they're written by Christians yeah, yeah. doesn't mean they're not dealing with spells and witches and witchcraft. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that you probably wouldn't... Tolkien want your... and, and Lewis are Christians, aren't they? Yeah, we, yeah. we need to say that. That's yeah, why yeah. I'm, I'm making that um, comparison. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that you probably wouldn't want your kids enacting and <laughs> acting out. So, Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, why... That's for another time on another yeah, yeah. podcast. Why Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban? So some of this is because of the book and some of this is because of my life mm. and so sometimes you read a, somebody will read a book and like, oh, it's the best book ever and somebody else will read it and go I really didn't connect and partly because every time you pick up a book that book's speaking into your life and your situation so I'm a reading Harry Potter I'm a teenage boy like how old are you when you picked, when you picked up the first so one? I picked up the second book first so you're 11 years younger than me from what you just said earlier yeah, 33 so, yeah so I'm 33 so how, when, when did it come out then 
Well, the first one came out in 1997, but I didn't pick it up in 1997. I was three or four years late to the party. And I actually started reading the second book first and then realized that there was a series. So then went back and read the first one. And I'm pretty sure I listened to the Stephen Fry audio before I read the first book. But anyway, so the third book was probably the first of the books that I really got what it was and was into the story. But being a teenager and anybody being a teenager is difficult being a teenager for me was really a period of not quite knowing what home felt like and what belonging and security felt like and then harry potter is effectively a world of new new home you can leave your your world and whatever the mess is and you can escape to this fully functional alternative reality that feels and sounds so much like your reality partly because it's set in the UK they're all British and blah 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 but it's like this is so near to how you could live but it's witches and wizards mm-hmm. but there's this there's this thing of like they could be there yeah they they don't understand money do they i think no no they don't yeah they, they don't, don't understand our they don't really or get, escalators don't, or yeah it's got like tv yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that yeah yeah um but and the, even this sense of like they they know that as muggles, we obviously can't uh, sense their existence. But so a muggle is know. a non-wizarding person. Is that yeah, I mean, if you don't know that, I mean, come on. Well, you know, some people might not. Let's... Some people might not. Yeah, if you're a muggle, then you're a non-wizard. Me and Mark are both muggles, as far as I'm aware. Well, I'll speak for yourself. But I, well, I, I would say I'm definitely a muggle. And if you were truly a wizard, you wouldn't have said that. So. Oh, dashing down it. You got me. So for me, the third book was this, it was the, this journey into a different world. And it was, a, a, to some extent, it really was a place of escapism. But in that escapism was a place of, ironically, very positive values. Um, so this is another one of the odd things where it gets some negative pushback from the Christian community. This is a, this is a story about a teenager which has no sex in it and no swearing in it and hardly any violence. Yeah, does, does, does Ron not say... He says, he says bloody hell and he says piss in the fifth film but he never says it in the book it's almost like you see Ron for who he really is in the film so he never says it in the book never says it in the book that's a good point I think you get the word git in one book we're touching on that 12a again and so but I was like if considering what your kids can look at when they're 12, 11, 13 years old Harry Potter is safe material in many ways so there's something kind of homely and safe and secure and not risque about it. Um, I, I would use the word pure, but I don't really know if I like the word. But there's also this sense of adventure and escapism. And so all of those things really appealed to me. And so I would not only read the books, but I would listen to the audio tapes. Mm. Tapes. They first mm. came out on tapes, Mark. Tapes, huh? Audio cassette. tapes, cassette tapes, wow. and then onto CDs. Um, have you hours. had every version of these 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 formats? I have. I think I have every version. I don't know if I've got the CDs of all of them, but I've got. I think I've got the cassette tapes of okay. series one to three. But I would sit in my room and listen to them playing play, original PlayStation One games, and and that was a lot of my teenage existence, uh, for good or for ill. But but therefore it became a real place of adventure, but also safety mm. for me. Okay, so. That quite that describes kind of the the overall yeah, thing yeah. Of, of Harry Potter, and, and obviously yeah. within Harry Potter as well, he's dealing he's dealing with death from from, yes. the, from the get go. Yeah, he's dealing death, with death. And loss and uh, all finding of those family, kind of yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, let's zoom back in. So we, we've 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 done thirty thousand feet. Yeah, or whatever yeah. It was. Let's zoom in to you know back down to ground now. And 
We're talking about this, this particular one. So this so particular book, this? so it's the first one that gets, I would say, gets nittier and grittier on Harry's emotional state. So how does that compare with one, though? I mean, he's dealt, you know, he's in an emotional place, isn't he? Like, in the first one, he's, yeah. we, we meet him at not being treated very well, and it's not treated very yeah. well for a number of books, is he? At, I would say... Home? I would say book three is a, it's Harry's growing sense of self-awareness that um, he has emotions with deep within him that he's not quite sure what to okay. do with. So book three is the book where he finds out that um, not only were his parents murdered by Lord Voldemort, but also that their best friend betrayed them, this uh, guy called Sirius Black. Mm-hmm. And so it's a new level of emotion for him of like, how could a best friend betray not just their best friend, but my mum and dad? And so if it, for Harry, you can kind of imagine he's got all of these entangled emotions of like, I've just discovered having friends in the last couple of years. So 1 to 11, he lives in a cupboard under the stairs. He doesn't really have any friends. And now he has Ron and Hermione. These are his best friends. And he's and, and he's learning about his mum and dad and their family and them growing up and them going to Hogwarts. And he's like, I'm retracing their steps. And then suddenly it's like, oh, hit their best friends, if the equivalent of their Ron and Hermione betrayed them to Lord Voldemort and you see all of this anger and frustration mm. kind of come out of Harry and for a 13 year old you're like yeah that's mm. that, I'm you know not nowhere near the same not the same because I live in the real world but not the same story but the same connection yeah with man life is frustrating and people will let you down and people will betray you and and how do you deal with all of that does the character of Harry put that? See, I think you've you've put that really well, actually. The the fact that he sees this best friend betraying. Yeah. Does in does the character in the book then look at Ron and Hermione as people that are potentially going to betray him? No, I don't think he does. But I think you sense it implicitly. So it's the first book where that relationship, in my opinion, starts to get tested. Mm. Now it comes through the test, but I think it starts to get tested. And you see, actually, in books four, five. Uh, six and seven in each in, in each of the books there's a point where those friendships are tested from different different angles and they come through the test in different ways but their friendships mature and grow and kind of get scars and wounds added into the friendship as they go and I think this book is the first book where you start to see the first wound mm. for Harry get exposed and then him have to try and deal with that and mm. what's he going to do with this wound that he's experiencing so do you find that do you find that a fascinating part of the book then how how he's dealing with this this first major wound yeah yeah i think so so you, you uh, aside from his parents being yeah yeah well you, you're introduced to harry in book one as a wounded yeah, character yeah, yeah but then in book three this is the first time where you almost experience him being wounded so you're on, you're on that journey with him. Yeah, you're on that journey you with him. You're not looking yeah. back at something no, no. that has so happened. You, you're witnessing the event, as it were. So book one, the parents are dead. But you, you didn't see, you didn't witness it, blah, blah, blah. So you know there's hurt. You have no emotional connection to them. Yes. Yeah. And now you have emotional connection. Now you Harry doesn't have emotional see. connection to them, does no, he really? No, not really. Yeah. And that actually interestingly grows over time. And in this book, that's another aspect that draws out. He connects with his parents more through this betrayal that happened or perceived betrayal because the twist at the end it is it's sure. actually never a betrayal no no that's it that's that's it i think i want to explore that a little bit more so repeat what you just said there about about the fact that he grew he seems to grow close to his parents that what you said yeah yeah because of the betrayal yes open up I, that a little bit i more. think so because i think that he, feels significant i think he connects an emotion that he feels with an emotion that they would have experienced as well so they're not just people and events. So effectively he grows up with, I have a mum and dad, and initially he's like, they died in a car crash is what he gets told. 
and then there's this revelation no they got killed by this lord voldemort who he he doesn't really meet or know much about for the first couple of books i mean he kind of meets him at the end of the first book but it's kind of a shady shadowy version of who voldemort Mm. really is so it's only really in the third book that he starts to get a little bit more insight into this these are who my parents were this is their friendship groups these are the people they hung out with you also meet one of their other friends, a guy called Remus Lupin, who comes and teaches at Harry's school. So Harry goes to him and goes, you knew my dad, what was he like? Because Harry's kind of been told all this time, well, you've got your mum's eyes, you're so like your dad. And Harry's a bit like, well, what does that mean? Mm. And finally, for the first time, he gets access to what does that mean? What does it mean to, for me to be like my dad? Mm. And he starts to get snippets of information. So he, so, so he's, he's going from knowing stuff yeah to to start to feeling stuff absolutely and the feelings are connecting it with him with the real people of who his parents were and what really happened to it to them and effectively he's he's starting to be able to process what it means to have lost them because he gets to know who they are more and as he gets to know who they are more he the, understands the, the what it fe- means to lose the feeling of loss is greatly increased. So you, yeah. I think, that, you know, as, mu- as much as it can be, this is a story of emotional maturity for Harry, which as a teenager is like, that's what you're trying to do. Mm. Or in hindsight... You, and you obviously connected with time. that as, as oh, a teenager yeah. that when you were reading this first half. Absolutely. So the, the, the backstory for me is my parents got divorced when I was 10, which is just before I entered into the Harry Potter world. And so you're bringing emotional pain and damage and trauma and uh, uh, parents were very loving very caring of me and but but you're living in that sense of oh there's something broken and I've, I've got to work out how to deal with it and Harry's in the same position so you suddenly go it's a different scenario but I kind of get what Harry's going through and how he's doing it so you so for me I was like I can track my emotional journey through reading Harry's emotional oh, journey. Now most of that's in hindsight. Like mm. I'm not sat there as a 13-year-old going, "Oh, well, I have I'm all tracking the- my emotional yeah, journey." <laughs> totally. But in hindsight you're like that's totally what I'm doing. I'm like Actually knowing story. what I know of you now I'm surprised you didn't. I mean that seems oh, it's a very different person <laughs> when I was okay. 13 a lot okay. less well a lot less many things but yeah, I think that's what I found really helpful was being able to see him go through pain and trauma and deal with it and be like, how how can I do that? Mm. And so that, that let's just we, we're going to finish in a, in a moment about about talking about this book, but I just want to zoom back out again. To yeah, that, yeah, that thirty thousand yeah. uh, feet scenario. Um, why why is the whole series? Why is it so successful? Is it is she a good writer in your opinion? Is she, yeah. is she a good writer? Does she describe things well? So let me give you an example of, yeah. of somebody else that. Um, has been hugely successful. Yeah, yeah. Has done, has done. I don't know. Probably hundreds of books. I don't know. Maybe, possibly. Maybe that's too yeah. many. Um, uh, but Terry Pratchett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I love reading Terry Pratchett's book. Yeah. He doesn't have chapters. Yeah, he has yeah, pauses. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and a lot of people over over the years poured scorn, particularly at the beginning, mm. poured scorn yeah, on his yeah. writing. Yeah, it was too weird and wonderful and out yeah, there yeah. and didn't make sense and didn't have chapters and what have you. Yet again, I'm reading one of those books. So my yeah. my other my other um, I've got two boys, so I'm yeah. reading Harry Potter to the youngest and and yeah. um, Terry Pratchett the oldest, and. I, I I am blown away by the dis, by his dis, how he how he describes things how he yeah. it, it, it's it's wholly on another level it's almost and I'm going to say it, yeah. it's almost Shakespearean in yeah, terms of yeah. the way that he's taking language and changing yeah, it yeah. Uh, and and we've adapted you know for those of us who, who are fans of practice we've adapted language into our language yeah. 
I see that a little bit with J.K. Rowling as well. Yeah. There are things yeah, everybody yeah. knows what a muggle is, kind of, you know. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. But but tell me again, from your opinion, is she is she a good writer? I, I think she is. But what do you think? And and why did why is she okay. become so popular? Was it just because of the quality of writing, or was it was it like you? There's a zeitgeist moment. Yeah, yeah. So you think of comedians as a parallel example. Stand-up comedians. You get some comedians who are so wacky and different and weird and wonderful that that's how they do it. So Eddie Izzard in his early days, you're like you're just different, and it's just like fun to watch you or you get somebody who had super observational comedians like a peter k or a michael mcintyre and the very very different types of comedy but they both work because they do what they do really well and then you have loads of people in the middle who are not quite sure am i trying to be totally alternative am i trying to be really observational and they just don't quite get it right so terry pratchett's your, your eddie Izzard. I'm going to do something different with you. I think that's a great you. comparison. I'm going to yeah. do something different with you. I'm going to take you on a journey and you're going to get wrapped up in it. I'm going to take you to something totally different. J.K. Rowling is almost like your observational comedian. She does the normal thing brilliantly. So the Harry Potter world is so close to our world. It's mapped onto our world. So this is a it's another world, but it happens in Scotland. It happens in King's Cross Station. It happens, he flies over places like I don't know, Coventry and Stoke. You're like... I, he could be next door to me. There are loads of touch points. And because he is raised as a muggle, and there are other muggles who are also wizards in the story, you have these constant touch points of, this is my world, but not quite my world. This could be happening around me, really. And so I think she's a good writer of twists, and she's got some, she's got good backstories for every single character, so there's real depth there. There's lots you could explore in this new world but really i think it's one of those books that takes a very simple concept and does it really really well whereas a terry pratchett comes up with loads of fantastical new concepts so it's a really different offering and i think that what jk rowling is doing is accessible to so many people in a in a really positive and powerful way um in in ways that lots of other kids writers just just do something different and, and, it, and, and they were released as children's books but yeah, they, yeah. they're not written yeah. in any way patronisingly no, no 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 and that's probably why a lot of adults can still pick them up and completely appreciate them yeah too. and and I would say an, uh, an interesting example would be the His Dark Materials trilogy with Philip Pullman uh, which I similarly loved and thought was brilliant enjoying, the, it, enjoying the recent yeah, BBC yeah, BBC, BBC adaptation I think is really good and he's got a second, the second kind of trilogy he's just released the second book of that which I'm reading through which is brilliant now he's an interesting one because he's a little bit like J.K. Rowling this is a world which is close to our world but he's further down the line to Terry Pratchett it's, it is different and so I think lots of people like it, but it just never quite got the following that Harry Potter did. Someone argues also making a, a point against established church and things like that, isn't he, Philip Pullman? Yeah, but but it's it's interesting. So that one gets a lot of pushback again mm. from, from Christians. But I'm like, fundamentally, the story is about two people who at the end of the first trilogy sacrifice their own love for the sake of the benefit of the world. I'm like, as much as you're going against established church or the magisterium, whatever it is, this is the Jesus story. It's just been repackaged. It's just been repackaged. And so I, and so I know lots of Christians who, who don't like it and they feel uneasy about reading it. I love it. I think it's amazing. And it's... actually, I've got to be honest, I haven't read any of his stuff. And, yeah. Uh, but I am, I am watching that BBC. Trilogy. Oh yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't finished it. Yeah. Yet, obviously. Um, I, I, I'm liking the story. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm finding it interesting. I, I could probably read it. Yeah. Uh, if, if, uh, if I kind of wanted to pick a copy. Yeah, up. yeah. 
I actually, as a Christian, I find it quite interesting to find those oh, moments yeah, yeah. that I see yeah. where I go, okay, yeah. you are pushing back. Yeah, totally. So it doesn't make me dislike it. I just yeah, go, yeah. oh, I yeah, recognise exactly. that you've got that worldview. I mean, and that's what you. you if you see. haven't read them, I'd absolutely read them, and I'd read them. Well, maybe maybe you might want to read them first before you read them to your kids, but they are they are beautiful. Like they are beautifully written. He's a real writer. So the way he describes things is is amazing, and I don't I don't this isn't a criticism of J.K. Rowling. She's not a beautiful writer. It's not like How poetically brilliant. Whereas Philip Pullman, some of Philip Pullman's stuff is like, oh, it's beautiful. Wow, it's really powerful to read. Okay. That that was the the end of his dark materials was the first book I ever cried at. Oh my goodness! When Lyra wow. and Will say goodbye to each other, oh, that got me. I think it was if you haven't 60. watched the trilogy yet. Or whatever it is that, that they're well, really the, the hanging out of. just the it's first not, book. Not, it's not short, is it? It's in seven parts or something. Well, that, that's just the first book that right. they're doing at the moment, so it'll be the end of the third book, but it's beautiful. So we've ended this one yeah, yeah. talking about another book entirely differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's they're move all, on. They're all linked. <laughs> on to the third and final book so this is your free choice, choice book you have picked c.s lewis's the great divorce okay now in front of me i have a, a big fat book <laughs> it's, it's actually a book that says complete c.s lewis signature classics yeah. and it has uh, mere christianity the screw tech letters the abolition of man the problem of pain miracles a grief observed and within that is the great yeah. divorce i've not read surprisingly yeah yeah because I'm, as, as a, somebody with a Christian worldview, I yeah. also, uh, I'm quite into apologetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and if apologetics being a, um, giving a good defense of, of your faith. Yeah. Um, and if you speak to any apologist worth their salt, they'll, they'll, have, they'll have read C.S. Lewis. Yeah, yeah, So yeah, clearly yeah. I'm not an apologist worth any salt. <laughs> um, uh, I've only heard and, and read, read snippets yeah. of. Um, so I'm going to correct that at some point, <laughs> in, probably in 2020, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll set myself the task. Um, so we, we, we come to C.S. Lewis and the Great Divorce. Uh, yeah. Is this an apologetic style book then? No. This, okay. this is a story. It's a story about a shadowy town. Uh, oh, that's always a good story. Yeah. Where, shadowy town. Where people live. And it's a story of somebody waiting at a bus stop. And they're going to take a bus oh, to, chills. Just, just to, about it. to another plane. And they get on the bus and they go to another another plane plane uh, another uh, existence. well it's uh, well you the beautiful thing about this book is you're never given a full description of what's going on so it's it's kind of there and it's not there okay so you're in this town you're on this bus and then you somehow are on this journey in the bus and then you've landed somewhere and where you've landed is this beautiful green field um and you can't walk on the grass because the grass is painful to walk on oh. And um, when it and it rains at one point in the story, and the rain is it hurts when it hits you because it's so real. And so what he so it's what, a beautiful place. What you find all the things out that are painful. What you find out is this is basically a description of C.S. Lewis talking about how heaven and hell work. We we never uses those words. I think he does right at the end. So it's a, an, a, an analogy. It's an analogy, but it's an amazing analogy of like what. 
what do we mean by hell? And so in hell, <clears throat> you don't have devils and demons and pitchforks and fire, but what you have is is people who had turned in on themselves. So you've got cantankerous people who just, that everybody, you start in hell by living next door to somebody, but at some point they aggravate you and annoy you. So you move one house down, but it's still not enough. So you move so you one street down. And so the people who've been there longer are further and further away. So he was like, he tells this funny story where he's like, some people wanted to go and find Napoleon. So they set off and they journey and journey and journey. And eventually it's just Napoleon in a house hundreds of miles away from any of the houses. And he's just walking up and down in his living room, talking to himself about how he lost the battle. And so it's this picture of like, if you are just left to yourself, where would you end up? So Napoleon's like, he's left to himself and his own thoughts. Where does he end up? He's like, how did I lose this battle? How did I lose this battle? How does I lose this battle? And that's his existence. So it's a, it's a kind of a... It does sound hellish. A literary play on this kind of idea of what happens to humanity when we're just left to our own devices. <clears throat> but then you have this bus. Then this bus will take you to effectively what you come, as, come to know as heaven. But heaven is this place where you have a basically a grass, a grass plain and in the distance you can see the mountains and beyond the mountains is the city of the great light. Okay. And so what you have is this dynamic play between people who come over the mountains to meet the people who are coming off the bus and they have conversations about where, which way they're going to go. Are they going to get back on the bus and go down to the shadowy town or are they going to come with the real person over the mountains? And why they find it painful is they are they realise that they are not real in the fullest sense of reality. So when they step on the grass, it hurts because the grass is as real as grass can be and they are not real. So it, it pains them. When it rains, it's, the, it's rain as it is in its fullest reality and they are not, so it hurts them. And the story is basically lots of these conversations between... I can't remember what Lewis calls them, but like the people of the light and the people of the shadows talking with one another about where they're going to go and why they're going to go where they go. And what's fascinating is you have this interplay of like, why do you want the people of light? Like, why do you want to go back to the shadowy town? And people are like, oh, because somebody like wronged me down there and I need to go and get vengeance on them. I need to go and sort them out. And the person of the light's like, no, no, over the mountains, it's a place of peace. It's a place where we forget about all of those things. It's a place where we're forgiven and reconciled. The person's like, how can I forgive and reconcile? And you have this dialogue back and forth are like, what what heart decision am I going to make about all the relationships that I have in the shadowy town, or am I going to go over the, the mountains and the hills? And so fundamentally, the book isn't really a book about heaven and hell. The book is a book about what happens in the human heart and a, a, when we have relational strife with other people or hurt by other people, what do we choose to do? And in that way, I just think it's a fascinating exposition of how humans act and humans think. But it's set against this beautiful and slightly creepy backdrop of this shadowy town and this beautiful kind of rolling plain in the hills. And at one point he goes to a river and he sees a waterfall into the river and he tries to get close to it. But the closer he gets, the, the little bits of spray from the waterfall are hitting, are hitting him. It's like, oh, I can't get too close because... But he's like, it's so beautiful, I'm drawn there, but I, I can't go. So I, I just found it captivating. Mm. And it's only it's maybe 60, 70 pages long. Oh, so I could read very, that. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very short. But, in, <coughs> but it's, it just draws you in. So it's called Great Divorce, then, I imagine, because of that separation yes. uh, yeah, thread yeah, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's going through it. Yeah. Um, 
so at no point in the book does he say this is heaven this is hell he do, i think in the last couple of pages he does he does he start to bring it together well he is not it's not a theological um kind of paper in any way but at the end somebody i think somebody asked one of the angels of the lights like always or the people of the light oh is, oh, is that what you call heaven and the angel of the lights like yeah over there's you know it's what we call heaven and he says well where have i been he's like oh well you've been in what you what we call hell I was like, well, it's huge. Like, where is it? Um, and the the angel of light says, oh, you see that speck of dust on the ground? That's where you came up through because the the inward nature of, of kind of humans looking in on themselves is so, turns in on itself so much, it becomes so small, so insular, that it's depicted as this tiny speck of dust compared to the expanse of looking out, looking out of oneself and looking out of God's creation. And so even that's this beautiful poetic device of what, when we talk about heaven and hell, they're, they're kind of terms that come with such baggage that actually what Lewis does is he just introduces something really new and fresh into those words. And it's more like your heart is made, again, from a Christian perspective, your heart is made to be, there's a verse in the Bible that says you're, you're kind of made to uh, be filled to all the fullness of God. So if God is, if God is every, if he's everywhere and everything, you're made to be filled to his fullness. That's how much you're made to be filled. So your expanse and your outlook on life is to be enormous. It's to be ever increasing, ever expanding as it were. And if you're like, hell is the opposite. It's like you turned just in on yourself, just in on your finite being. And so Lewis plays with those two ideas and he says, hell is so tiny, it's so insular. Whereas in his words, heaven, if you're Christian, new heavens, new earth, the, the, the horizon is always ever expanding. And I just, I just think that's a beautiful picture of how he portrays, how he portrays some of those truths from from the Bible, but how he just does it in a very different way. So, when did you when did you first pick it up? When and what what made you what made you read it? What made you? So I read it because of that kind of apologetic angle. Yeah. I mean, most of what Lewis writes, I think, is is good. Um, not the biggest fan of the Narnia series, I have to say, but I've read it recently and I did enjoy it. I picked it up just because it was in this larger compilation and I was just kind of working through it and reading them all. And so I probably read it about 12 years ago, but I, I've reread it a couple of times since. It's just because I find it really fascinating. And it's it makes you think. It's not, much, much more than the others? In, or, or just in a different way? Different just, way. Just expand your Yeah, your just thinking. in a different way. So it doesn't, if you like, the body book seeks to give you some answers he's, he's not really doing that he's like let me take you let me take you on an allegorical journey and just see what it does to you mm. and i think there's some value in that you can find the book and just like i find that fascinating from from what you said i don't know whether we said it on the recording or or, or beforehand um no we, we said it on the recording that the reading takes you it takes you deeper yeah. gives gives oh, gives yeah. life meaning gives or gives Absolutely. you answers um and and you were, you were quite you were quite strong on that and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I love that, but this doesn't give you those answers like you just said. This, doesn't this, give you answers, but just so why you, is that still fascinating to you? Because it because it makes you ask a question, and it, it makes you ask a question which in in turn spurs you to look for answers. So not every book will give you every answer, but a good book will give you probably some something to chew on, and a really good book just makes you ask really good questions. Mm. And it may, and sometimes it offers you a potential solution or a potential answer that you might grab hold of and go, "That's it." But it, 
but it might also just pose you a really powerful question offer a solution in one way and you're like oh, I, I like that way but oh it's that's too small an answer there's going to be a much bigger and that's what lewis does he says look here's here's this big question the human heart turned inward turned outward some something a little bit about heaven and hell and he kind of offers this kind of hey maybe it's like this like, oh maybe it is but maybe it's like loads of other things so it gives you that big question gives you one potential way of thinking about it but so, it encourages you to look at it in such deeper ways so for you if you can recall what what was the question what what or questions what what, what did what did you begin to ask because of this book? How did that lead you into those those questions? Probably the the question that I was asking. Uh, what question led me into the book? No, no, sorry, let me came me, out of the book. Yeah, what came out? What questions came out of the book? Where's my heart orientated? So is my heart orientated just inwards to me? What I'm after in life, my desires, and that picture of being ever distant from other people, walking up and down, that and a picture of Napoleon just walking up and down in his living room, asking himself, why did I lose this battle? I'm like, man, I could go there. It's like, you go and sleep at night, you replay the same story in your head over and over and over mm. again. You need other people to like pull you out of that. And, and so I was like, if I'm left to my own devices, what would happen? If I'm left to myself, what would happen? There's a great quote by, uh, blaze pascal which kind of links to this i've not read much of pascal but i remember this quote where he's like most of the dangers that have happened or most of the bad things that have happened in the world is because of man's inability to sit in a room quietly by themselves for an hour doing nothing <laughs> and i was like that is true because if you sit quietly in a room by yourself for an hour you go mad yeah. to some extent you all of what's inside you starts to come out and if you're not practiced in doing that as it comes out, you just freak out and you go, "Oh my goodness, there's what a, is there?" There's a there's a, a a room somewhere that somebody has has built, yeah, um, for experimentation and what have you. But it apparently it's the most soundproofed uh, room ever, yeah. or, and not just soundproofed actually from the outside, but the way that the the the, the walls and the ceiling yeah. and things are modelled, it yes. absorbs wow. sound, and it is the most so it's the most silent place yeah. on earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people say they can't stay in it for longer no. than 10, 15 minutes. It's just you. It's just literally you. And your thoughts. Yeah. And what's in your heart. Yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> it is fascinating. Um, Dave, thank you. Thank you, Mark, for having me on. That's been a lot of fun. You'll agree, Dave is a, is, a, is a fascinating character, and I, and I, and I could I could chat for so much longer, uh, and could have chatted so much longer with uh, with Dave, not only about the books but probably a gazillion other things as well. Um, so join us um, uh, for uh, you know the next podcast when when that when that is released. I hope you've you've enjoyed this one. Um, you can find us on all the usual social media stuff. Just search for my three books, except for Twitter. I'm still bitter about it. I can't get the full word, so you have to search for my number three to it, my, uh, books. So my three books with a number three. Um, and obviously contact me as well if you like. You want to talk about anything that, that has been mentioned in this podcast or any previous podcast, just email me at hello at my3books.co.uk. Until next time. 
happy reading. Welcome to the end bit of the podcast, the bit where I say thank you for listening. No, genuinely, thank you. There are quite a lot of podcasts to choose from and you chose to spend your time with this one. If you liked what you've heard, please make sure you subscribe. And if you could leave a rating on your preferred podcast provider, that would be so helpful in helping this podcast reach more people. Please do get in touch via our social media accounts if you'd like. Oh, and share the love via the links. Word of mouth also helps too. Visit my3books.com for all the info.